You're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. We're your hosts, Brandon and Allison, and this is episode 40. Yeah, the big four zero. Yeah, we're uh, all those every every 10 episodes is just kind of a, a nice big thing. And it's just every single time it's like oh, we're, we're that much closer to 100. That's what I keep thinking. <laughs> Are we going to have a really big 100 episode celebration it's gonna have to be i just don't know we'll have to that's... we'll just have to figure it out yeah we've got like 60 more episodes to to figure it out so i think we we got a little while um but how are you this week i'm good i've been really busy um let's see i mean not to get into too much of my personal life but uh my husband who's in the navy just got back from a 10-month deployment so um, he got home last, I want to say last Thursday or Friday. Um, so yeah, we've just haven't really done much in the past few days besides, um, eating and sleeping and that sort of thing. What about you? What have you been doing the past few days? The past few days have been uh, busy. I mean, I'm just still getting some terracing done for gardening outside because I really want to have a lot of vegetables this next season for, uh, fermenting with and and uh yeah so that that that's kept me busy and it's gotten cold though so i'm finally slowing down on that but it warmed up again today so who knows maybe i'll have a little bit more time to dig outside but for the most part that's probably winding down here in wisconsin but mm-hmm. yeah. i i heard about that cold spell um what was i heard that it was like 21 or something the other day that's so cold yeah it was 19 or something yeah it was it was it was cold um i think of generally november being colder but Maybe I just have uh, poor memory and, and it just felt, it felt like it's been a pretty warm season. So I've been taking advantage of it this, this time around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and usually I, usually around this time, I'm starting to, to feel the the urge just to stay inside. But this year I've been pushing through and, and getting actually things done outside. But, but uh, with your husband in the Navy, do they, uh, does, does he eat any fermented foods when he's out at sea? Unfortunately not. I mean, it's no. mostly just um, prepackaged dehydrated food that they reconstitute with water. And, um, I think it's like a 20 or I want to say maybe a 40 day food rotation. So every 40 days you get the same thing. Um, they might make some variety depending on how long they are from like out to sea. Um, but you know, he was telling me this past weekend that there were points where they were really low on food and they had to get pretty creative. Um, rice for breakfast um that was left over from the night before um they ran out of milk things like that so um his food intake has been pretty um boring for the past few months so he's happy to be home to get some fermented foods and re um re get some more probiotics in his belly than what he had before (laughs) Yeah, that doesn't uh every 40 days. I I mean, I guess that wouldn't be horrible if there's 40 different things I can have, but the the cycle of it just sounds kind of even though it's 40 days it still sounds pretty monotonous and I don't know, not too exciting. You didn't make yeah, it sound no, that, that sound that good. No, he's I mean, it's it's it is okay. I mean, you know, you can you don't really have much of a choice, but um he said too sometimes they run they've been out to sea so long they run out of um again milk or even just like vegetables or salads. So you're pretty much getting 
rice and pasta and really starchy foods. And after a while, that can be pretty draining mentally and physically on your system. So um, he's happy to be back. And we went to uh, the market the other day and he was just like, you could just tell that he was so happy to just even see like fresh fruits and vegetables and just the excitement of being able to pick out whatever he wanted to eat. And he wasn't being told what he has to eat. Hey, so it's, it's it's the little thing sometimes that make a, yeah, make a difference. Yeah. It's it's just stuff that I never really thought of or, you know, I didn't didn't think much of until recently when whenever he's gone for that pe- long time, I he just gets so excited about things that we find so, you know, mundane and boring and just ordinary. Oh yeah. Well, that's that's good he's back and he's going to stay around for a little while or most likely at least. Yeah, yeah, he's not he's he's done with uh going out to sea for at least 3 years, so he'll be home for a long time, which is nice. He's been gone um since last Labor Day, of, it's the Labor Day of 2012. He's been in San Diego for 8 weeks. So, pretty much he's been gone for a year and a half. So, it's nice to have him back and He's remembering why he loves San Diego and, um, you know, rekindling friendships with old friends that he hasn't seen for the past two and a half or, you know, year and a half. Wow. Well, I, I, I have to say I'm impressed with him being on that long that you've been able to still put in some time and in, in, uh, plan for this episode. I mean, I'm, that's kind of impressive with as long as <laughs> been away. Yeah. I mean, he still goes to I mean, he's at work right now um, and during, you know, he's gone to work every day this week. So it's, it's kind of nice too. Like when he left to go to work on Monday or Tuesday, I can't remember what day it was. Um, it, it felt so normal to me to be home by myself and just doing what I, what I normally do when he's not here. So it's, it's more of a shock to me when he comes home at four thirty or five and he's ready to have dinner and, um, you know, wants to do stuff when I'm not, you know, that I'm not, I'm not used to that anymore. I'm used to just spending the whole day by myself. <laughs> It's a change, but it's got to be nice. I'm it's, sure. It's a change, yeah, yeah. But um, it's nice to have him back. Sweet. Well, that's that's uh, that's good news. Yeah, and he's back in time for the holidays, which is, I mean, it's hard to not have family around for the holidays. So he's back, and we're starting to plan for Thanksgiving and what we're doing for Thanksgiving with um my my brother in law and sister in law. So my my husband's brother and his wife, um, live like two miles from our house. So we've been starting to talk about like, who's going to bring what for Thanksgiving and when, what time we're going to eat. And, uh, you know, uh, nomadic friends who are in the area for the, that week of Thanksgiving, um, you know, who's, who we're going to invite and all of that. Um, do you guys do anything special for Thanksgiving? We are, uh, this year we'll be, be hosting Thanksgiving for, uh, my, my mom will come up, I, I, I think. And, um, it, it's, it really depends what kind of have family sp- spread out. Um, and my dad's down in Tennessee and different whatnot. So it's kind of hard to, 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 to seal a lot of family. Um, but maybe my, my wife's parents will, will come over because they're not too far away, a couple hours away too. So, um, you know, we kind of mix, mix up both sides since, uh, my wife's from originally from, from Croatia. So her only family here is, um, her, um, immediate family. And I mean, before celebrating any Thanksgiving with us, they don't really celebrate Thanksgiving given it's not really their holiday. So it's, uh, right. it's, you know, it's, it's kind of nice to, to, to bring that, that side of things in. And, uh, and so, yeah, so we're, we're doing something not too big, but we have ordered a, um, a smaller, 
um, heritage turkey, and uh, that's actually being raised right down the down the road from from us. And uh, we're going to I'm going to make up make that, and then cook that, and then other than that, maybe try and include some fermented foods because that's kind of the idea of this episode. Is well, what what kind of things could be fermented that are similar enough to what's generally available around Thanksgiving feasts, but then at the same time, uh, how can things be mixed up a little bit? And, and so that's kind of looking at these kind of things. I realized, Oh man, I've really kind of run out of time on a lot of the stuff. I'm I've, I've taken a little too long to prep for this. So when we go over some of the things today too, I think that it's going to be one of those things where, well, this might be a good idea for next time. But the other thing to think is this is kind of like a, what kind of things could be fermented for a feast uh, and not just Thanksgiving, like anytime, get a whole big group of people together or are hosting any kind of party or there's, you know, more holidays still coming this, this season for a lot of, or a lot of people. So, you know, kind of think of these different things as nice fall feast foods. And if you don't have time to ferment it before Thanksgiving, then there's still, there's still time to do it. There's still plenty of holidays left for 2013 or even again, like what you mentioned, pre-planning for next year. Um, and yeah, some of these things do fermentation is not a fast process. So, um, hopefully people can get started, um, next week and hopefully have some from slightly fermented foods for, um, Thanksgiving or, um, the upcoming holidays. So yeah, because in a, you know, a week and a half, pretty much if people are listening to this when it's released on Monday, I mean, for, uh, with a week and a half or a week left before Thanksgiving, there's. I guess the, I mean people could do quick ferments of any of these things that we talk about. I mean I'm planning to to ferment some some quick sauerkraut. I mean it's only going to be a, about a week and a half, two weeks old by the by the time it's time to serve. But you know hey mm-hmm. it's still something nice nice to have. And um, at the same time I don't really do a very traditional Thanksgiving feast anyway besides turkey, but even that hasn't always been the case. So um, I'm pretty flexible on on what I'll eat. At Thanksgiving. But. Yeah, I think it's just more of a holiday where you get together with family and friends and just sit down and talk and not be in a rush or checking like your emails or um, Facebook or any of that sort of thing. It's just a day to really hone in and like have really good conversations about life. And um, so it's not really much about the food for me personally, but it's just more of the relationships with people that um, you develop so, um, which, which food goes so well with that though. I mean, getting people together and then, and then enjoying food together. I mean, it, it can be a pretty powerful thing and, and thinking about even just fermentation and, and how that can sometimes bring people together and, and, you know, culture building or whatnot. And, and even if fermented foods aren't generally much of a specific thing around Thanksgiving, I mean, one of the, one of the big things that is pretty common is, uh, you know, our cranberries, any, mm. any form of cranberries. And, and that was one of the, the first things I found in regard to, um, Thanksgiving meals on, on pickled, uh, Amanda over at, uh, I'm sorry, uh, fickle.com Amanda over there. She, uh, she was in podcast episode number 27. You can go back and listen to her there, but she had a pickled cranberry recipe that she actually was planned ahead of time because she, I think released that blog post at the end of October around Halloween, time. So she, you know, she was getting people prepared and actually starting the timing correctly. So, but a pickled cranberry recipe, I'll put that in the, in the show notes. I mean, it's 
pretty simple. I mean, just orange peel and cranberries and then uh, letting that ferment in a salt brine. And a few weeks later, it starts to bubble. But that was the one thing that I noticed even when I read it that I was a little late to the game uh, because she said for the first week it didn't even show any signs really of fermenting or bubbling or anything. So, but then as soon as it did get started, it bubbled like crazy for three weeks. So. Oh, crazy. Well, I do. I, I found that same recipe that you're talking about and I started it. Um, the, my pickled cranberries, uh, it was about a week ago and she's right. I haven't really seen much in the way of fermentation or bubbling. It's still sitting on my counter. Um, and I looked at it right before we started, uh, recording this podcast and just, just in the hopes, fingers crossed that I could like show everyone, take a picture and take, show everyone that it is bubbling, but it, there's nothing going on right now. So maybe next week when, um, we, uh, get together again, I'll, I'll have an update with my pickled cranberries, but they look delicious. I mean, smell it. The cranberries smell good too. So I hope it turns out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I could imagine just even steeping or having the the orange peel and, and cranberry sitting together is going to just infuse those flavors more anyway, whether it's um, strongly fermented or not. I'm, but there's still hope. Yours might still ferment and it might still ferment in time for if you started a week ago. Yeah, you still have you'll get about that time period if it starts bubbling. Enjoy it. And yeah, it should be. Hopefully it's done by the time Thanksgiving comes around. If not, I'll just put it in the fridge and then um, use it for some other holiday uh you know, feast that's coming up. So, uh, cause there's, I mean, I feel like cranberries kind of go with all, you know, anything and for November, December, I just feel as if that's just such a holiday food. Um, it doesn't have to be for Thanksgiving, but fingers crossed. I hope that it's, it's done in time for Thanksgiving so I can show all my family and friends, um, this little new thing that I've made. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, and that's, I think where fermented foods, adding those to Thanksgiving really make a difference too is, they provide some other talking point in connecting with, with, uh, you know, people that not friends, friends and family that maybe someone doesn't see as often or whatnot. It's kind of nice to have something kind of special to share that's out of the ordinary, even, even though it's nice to have the things that people have had every single year, it's kind of nice to spice it up a little bit sometimes. Yeah. It can get kind of drab and boring if you have the same mashed potatoes all the time and everything is the same from year to year. Um, so I'm, I, there's a few other recipes too that I've found that I'm I'm gonna try out here in the next week or two. Because um, some of them, uh, it's I, if you go to Cultures for Health um, for uh, fermented holiday dishes, they have an entire web page full of different fermented food ideas with links to recipes. And some of them, um, like cultured butter, things like that, I don't think will take too long. Um, to prep in advance, but yeah, people could definitely get that done. I mean, cultured butter would be great with some sourdough bread. Yeah. Oh, that'd be so delicious. And sourdough, if you already have a starter, that shouldn't take too long to get out and moving and bubbling. And then you, you know, just take your little, um, your little cup or so to, to, with your, uh, dough and, um, flour and get that going too. So that's, that's maybe like a two day thing beforehand before Thanksgiving. Yeah. I mean, some of these things don't really take that much prep, especially if a person does do sourdough or otherwise. And I mean, another with sourdough, they're pretty much think of anything bread related or that could be bread related and then add sourdough and into it and use that as the, the rising agent and say sourdough pumpkin bread. I found a recipe for that. So, you know, pumpkin bread, I like that. I mean, I, I remember I used to make a lot of, uh, pumpkin coconut, uh, 
banana maybe it had bananas or i don't know but it was coconut banana hmm. uh pumpkin bread and it was it was great so then i could just switch out that and put some sourdough in it and might be something if i'm not going to follow a recipe that's already out there that i'd want to experiment with a few days yeah. before to make a second batch to make sure it works but well it's interesting because usually pumpkin bread is more um you know it has that banana bread cake like consistency and then sourdough is a lot heartier so i'm interested to see uh, or hear about your experience with making sourdough pumpkin bread um but did when you found this recipe was there a picture or anything with it yeah like did it show like the outside being really crusty and the inside being soft it still looked i mean it was i would say it's leaned more towards pumpkin bread than it did towards sourdough uh, bread. I mean, it was, uh, let me see, I've got this recipe in front of me. It's got, it's got a fourth cup of sourdough starter. So it's not like it's even got a whole lot and, um, oh, you know, okay. a fourth cup of, of, of yogurt or other fermented dairy too. So it's, it's more of something that has a little bit of that. I'm assuming it, but it sits for six to eight hours. So it's still getting some of that, um, fermentation going on, but it's, yeah, it definitely looks a little bit, yeah, maybe in between kind of creamy and, um, bready at the same time. So yeah, it's not going to be quite as banana bready like it with that like creaminess in the mouth probably, but mm -hmm. it's going to probably still taste good. Oh no, that sounds amazing. I'm, I'm intrigued by this recipe because I love anything that has pumpkin in it, pumpkin pie, bread, um, bagels, all that stuff. So I never thought about adding this, adding some sourdough starter to the pumpkin bread. That'll be really good. Yeah. Well, in thinking of pumpkins in general, I've been putting off a uh, experiment that I want to do in regard to like jack-o'-lantern pumpkins, not necessarily always the best to cook with, but mm -hmm. I'm interested just cubing them up or slicing them up into uh, into wedges and, and fermenting them in, in a salt brine and seeing what happens there. It wouldn't obviously be ready for Thanksgiving, but just thinking of pumpkins, I still have some that are... are sitting out that I'd like to, that, that weren't ever carved. I just like to see if, if that flavor profile changes because I was just recently, you know, something else that doesn't generally taste good, uh, by itself or, or cooked our, our watermelon rinds. And I don't know if I mentioned that before, but I just recently took some watermelon rinds and put them in a salt brine. And I, after cutting off the, the, the outer edge, but just that green part between the, the flesh and, and the, the outer rind, Mm -hmm. And it, they actually taste very nice as like a little side dish. Maybe I add a little less salt next time, but, uh, it was, it was very nice and, and refreshing because it just, again, the power of fermentation totally transforms that kind of greeny taste to something that's a lot more mellow and just works again as a nice little, um, a little side dish, like a, just a, a few little, uh, chunks of it on a, on a plate and it, it goes well. Hmm. Interesting. I've never really thought about that or using using rinds and fermenting them in that way. I mean, obviously, so in some recipes like this cranberry recipe, you use orange rind um, and that adds a, a subtle zesty bitterness to it. But that complements the, the recipe. Um, but it, just by itself, I've never really used it or thought about it. And that's an interesting take on um, some something that's considered waste and reusing that to make it edible. Well, yeah. And while I'm thinking of rinds, I mean, uh, with have you ever fermented uh, lemon uh, or preserved lemons? A long time ago. Um, and th they're delicious. Yeah. I mean, those are something where it's like, well, 
the best part really is the, uh, the, the outer rind, um, you know, because the inner flesh still tastes good in some things, but like putting into cooking to get that, that umami punch just mm-hmm. really works with the, the preserved lemon, um, peel and, and that, which, which surprised me because at first, the first time I preserved lemons, I was actually eating more, I, w- I was tasting more of the juice and, and the, the, the flesh as opposed to the, to, to the peel or the, the skin of the, the lemon. And, uh, and they taste, they taste good. But once I tried that almost like candy like quality to the preserved lemon and, uh, it, it's, it's interesting to see how fermentation really does transform some of these things that are otherwise waste products. Right. Right. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's fun to play around with that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, going back to Thanksgiving meals, um, it kind of adds again, like a, a different twist on a, an old favorite or a classic that you like cranberries again, going back to that or sourdough pumpkin bread. And like, you can just have normal pumpkin bread or normal sourdough bread. But when you add that extra fermented aspect to it, it really brings out some sort of new flavors that you can't even describe or imagine and just kind of makes it a little more special for Thanksgiving. Cause it also does take time to do these things. And, you know, Thanksgiving is about not only the food and the family, but, um, you know, the traditions and taking something, making it slightly different and, um, starting new traditions that way with different types of foods. Oh yeah. And I, I think a little bit of a, a fusion of, of different cuisines and not necessarily always more uh, American or European foods sometimes are interesting too. I mean, uh, are you a gravy person? Do you, I am. Do gravy? Mm-hmm. See, mm-hmm. I, I've never really cared for gravy too much, but I'm thinking this year I might try this one that's more of a gravy Asian sauce of sorts with, with fish sauce in it. So again, mm-hmm. the, the fermented aspect to it and just putting, um, some some fish sauce along with garlic and ginger in the uh and then cook that down with with the gravy and so just adding again more umami flavor to it uh more uh, still getting a thicker sauce but just taking a little bit uh also putting a little bit of ginger in so then getting a little bit more of just that that asian flair to it so a little bit of oh, a fusion right. gravy huh that sounds really good too um now would you put that on top of mashed potatoes or uh, your turkey or do, I mean, are you just, do you just pour gravy on whatever you want to? Well, that's the thing is I don't generally pour gravy on mashed potatoes or turkey. So you trying this, I would think, I don't know if it would taste good on the, on the turkey, but on mashed potatoes, I think it would taste good. I don't see why it wouldn't because mm. it, I'm sure that it, it would, it would definitely not be a traditional mashed potato kind of gravy, but at the same time, I mean, it's worth, worth trying. I, I think that's one of those that I am going to try because it's not something that I have to ferment or do anything with. I'm just using a, a fermented product and I didn't even ferment the fish sauce myself. Right. Even though I would like to do that at some point. I mean, living in the middle of the United States, it's you know not like I'm getting a bunch of fish from the sea to really ferment with anyway. So uh, it's it'd be a little bit of an artificial fermentation of getting good fish to ferment with, but um, fresh fish, I guess, but frozen fish. I don't know what I do, but Maybe someday I'll do fish sauce, but until then I'll do the fish sauce gravy. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to look at that recipe as well and then figure out if it's something I think I would like it. I don't know if like my family would necessarily like it. Um, they're not big ginger fans um, or fish sauce by itself. I think when I made um, kimchi or something a few weeks or not a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, um, I gave it to my family and they they were a little 
they were a little shy about trying it just because when I told them there was fish sauce in it, and fish sauce has very pungent, distinct smell, um, I think they were turned off by that. So maybe I'll make like a little bit of that gravy for myself, just a little like sampler um, and, and try it out instead of making a big batch. You're not supposed to tell people what's in something until after they tried it and, <laughs> and then let well, them the- know. Well, when they smell it and they're like, ooh, something smells a little fishy in there, then you okay. kind of okay. you kind of have to, you know, tell them what's in it and um but yeah, no, I guess you shouldn't you shouldn't come out and say, "Here, this is what's in this that you're about to eat." You're it's... about to eat baby vomit. Enjoy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if you don't mm. tell them, maybe it will be good. Yeah. So, um I try not to tell people what's in what's in stuff, um especially when you're fermenting because some, I mean, you know, great example, you just talked about fermented watermelon rinds. People, I think initially would think, oh, that doesn't sound very appealing that I'm not interested in even trying that. Um, but then when they, when they try it after the fact, they're like, oh, what is that? That was delicious. And when you tell them, it's just like utter shock. Like, I can't believe I ate that. That it's not how I expected it to taste. Well, yeah, even, even my, uh, my wife was a little bit resistant to the, the watermelon rinds. She was thinking that it wasn't going to taste good. So if she hadn't known what it was, yeah, it would definitely, definitely make a difference. Be like, here, just try this or just mix it in with something. And then she wouldn't even know she's trying it necessarily. So yeah, mindset definitely makes a difference on perception. And and so I guess maybe some of these things, if a person is used to having a really traditional Thanksgiving meal, then maybe it makes sense to like, if someone really likes the idea of a ginger fish sauce gravy to maybe have side by side options for people because it may not be something that everyone likes, but you know, your random uncle or something might really love it. And that's just, uh, you know, another way to, to catch up and talk about food. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we do that with our family Thanksgiving. I think my brother-in-law, he loves mashed potatoes. Um, and he usually has three or four different kinds of mashed potatoes, um, like blue cheese and bacon. And these aren't, they're not, they're just, you know, he boils the potatoes or bakes the potatoes. I'm not sure how he does it. Um, but then he kind of divides them up and figures out beforehand, okay, this year we're going to have, um, bacon and cheddar or sour cream or traditional and all these different types of flavors because not everyone likes blue cheese mashed potatoes with bacon some people don't like blue cheese but it you know he still has options for everyone yeah that's just that's crazy not to like blue cheese i mean i think everyone should like blue cheese but i yeah it's pretty good but i think there's some i i don't know much about cheese and the you know the division of cheeses but there's some stinky mold cheeses that i just can't do (laughs) See, I don't know. There's something about, well, yes, there are some that I can't do either. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on, on what some really good examples are right off the, the but, but thinking of blue cheese, that is one thing I, I did put in the notes was, uh, was a, uh, Ziggy Zaki blue, which is a, a goat and cow cheese blend. And for people that don't like blue cheese, it's one cheese that can kind of get people to like it. And I think that holiday meals are a great time to put out a cheese platter and, and really get you know, put a few things out there that, especially if it, if I can convert a blue cheese hater, then, you know, that's, that's an accomplishment. And so holidays are a good time to try and do that and just put out some, some Ziggy Zaki blue cheese. And, uh, it's, well, it's not blue. I mean, it's like, a, it's a, 
the goat cow blend, it's just a mild blue coming through there, but it kind of tastes a little bit cheddary and earthy and, and amazing. It's one of the best cheeses I've had in a, in a long while. And it's one of my favorite. Is this now, is this, um, a brand, a brand of cheese, or is this like a cheese that you make yourself? This would I'm be, this at... would be a, a, a brand of, of cheese, uh, for, okay. because there's probably not enough time for anyone to be making their own, own cheese at this, this point for uh, Thanksgivings. But, uh, although that would be a, a great idea too. at least do some, well, again, like most of the quick cheeses that I know how to do are feta cheese, mozzarella, different things that aren't necessarily very Thanksgiving-y either. Yeah. But... Yeah, no, I think I've, my idea of a cheese platter, it does consist of like the mozzarella and, um, you, but it's more of like the hearty, um, aged cheeses, um, like cheddar and, um, Roquefort cheese. Although I don't really like that cheese because that's one of those moldy, too moldy for me, pungent smelling cheeses, but it kind of falls into that. Like you got to have it just because it kind of is part of Thanksgiving. Um, and every year I tried lots of different moldy cheeses in the hopes maybe this year I'll like it better. But, um, you know, cheese platter is always a must. And um, also with that, like salamis, different fermented meats uh, yeah, as an appetizer. Definitely. And, it, and it, I, I, I would, I'm so excited for the day that I eventually do get into meat fermentation, but that's just definitely something that I, I haven't really focused on. I never, most everything else at least tried or considered, but, but meat is just one of those things that I, I haven't made that step yet. But just think about like, I just think it would be so rewarding to have meat that I've been fermenting for, for months or longer and then presenting that at a holiday meal. I mean, that just sounds to me like a, a great way to to share it as long as it turns out, I guess. But I assume that it would. And, and, and you know, because, yeah, meat, I, I, that's definitely something that, that for fermented foods that I don't make myself, it's one that I value very much. So along with stinky fermented cheeses, um, because I haven't been that successful at, at those um, longer age cheeses either. So, yeah, I mean, those those are two ferments that I am definitely willing to to pay for. And, um, but that goes back to our episodes about the industrialization of fermented foods. And there's a lot of industrialized cheeses that really aren't that exciting and maybe just work as a filler for like Mac or Mac and cheese or something like that. But still an artisanal cheese, something from a small scale producer. And in Wisconsin, I've got plenty of local cheese. The Ziggy Zack blue is from Wisconsin as well. And, and there's just so many money options out there that it's, I would love to be able to make some of this cheese myself only for the fact that, you know, it sometimes does get a little bit, a little bit pricey. If I just, you know, it's like the Ziggy Zack Blue, I could just gorge on and, and enjoy a whole lot of it. But, you know, that's also sometimes the nice thing about not making it all myself is that I can uh, hold back have, a little bit more. You have a true appreciation for the cheese and because you don't really get it that often. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. That does make a difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've never really done much in the way of meat fermentation myself. It's something, again, I would like to do. Um, just haven't had the time or the resources or the space. Uh, but there's a guy um, here in San Diego at the farmer's markets. Um, he's called the Sausage Man. I mean, that's that's the name of his business. Um, but he makes these incredible salamis and pepperonis and all sorts of fermented meats. Um, and they're done very traditionally and um it's just kind of fun to go and and buy those things too because um it just looks very uh european and old um you know old 
generational thing that it comes in like the rope with like the netting on it and it's kind of fun to put it for presentation wise just to have that there too oh yeah that's something i didn't even really think about too much was was presentation i mean that's a huge part for thanksgiving or can be that is oftentimes i feel like uh neglected and you know certain people's family traditions or whatnot it's not necessarily the most amazing thing but when you know there's a big feast and it has a presentation quality to it too. It's just, uh, it's great. And- mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what's the saying you eat with your eyes before you actually eat it or you, you eat with your eyes first. Oh, yeah. So I think presentation has a huge, it says a lot about, um, what you're about to eat and it makes you, it makes you appreciate it more too, personally. Oh yeah. I'd, I'd say so. And, um, and that's, that's where I go back to the cheese plate. It's like, even if nothing else really looks as amazing, like a, a very well put together cheese plate can definitely do a lot for the eyes. And and then also on the cheese plate, I think can be important taking that extra step of not just the cheese, but little few little things to go along with it. And I, I found one recipe that I'm interested to try and convert to a fermented recipe just to see if it adds any more flavor to it. It's probably already flavorful enough as is, but I, I found a red onion and golden raisin jam for uh, for a cheese plate. And I think, I mean, I've, I've fermented onions and I love the taste of fermented onions. So mm-hmm. if nothing else, maybe just put fermented onions into this recipe. But at the same time, there's golden raisins in there. Uh, I was like thinking about fruits that I've fermented. Well, I've, I've fermented blueberries before with a high enough salt content. It, it, it doesn't go as drastically into the alcoholic side of things and, and ferments a little bit more mm-hmm. um, with uh, the, uh, the acid side of things. So I was like thinking, well, maybe if I, tweak the recipe and try it even just a mild fermentation and then compare it to a fresh versus the fermented because I just think of red onion and golden raisin jam going along with some some funky cheeses it might be kind of nice to add that fermentation punch to it if it if it works so I'm possibly going to do that that's probably more of an experimental thing that's going to take longer than being ready for for this mm-hmm. holiday but future holidays I mean it just it just sounds good no, that sounds that sounds really good. I just never really thought about that combination before, but I that would be delicious on cheese or um even on your turkey. I think that would just be like oh, yeah. a slightly kind of like a cranberry sauce. One of those kind of falls in line with that. Oh yeah. See yeah. um that was one thing, turkey. I really wanted to find some kind of turkey sausage or something that it just it's really not something that is this fermented as often which is understandable, but at the same time, I just, I was hoping to find something fermentation related to Turkey, but I, I, I failed at that one. Yeah. I couldn't really find anything related to that either. Um, but if anyone has any sort of fermented Turkey, um, recipe, they should send it into us and then we should try it for Thanksgiving. Um, if we have time or, you know, again, we could do it for some other upcoming holiday, uh, but no, I think everyone just kind of sticks with the traditional turkey or, you know, like the baked turkey versus the fried turkey and goes, does that sort of thing. Um, keeps you, that pretty traditional. Do you deep fat fry your turkey? No, um, my dad usually does um, because it does have a really good flavor. It's very different than oven baked turkey. Um but uh, we usually, I mean, we'll make a turkey ourselves for because um, we just love le- like leftovers, um, especially Thanksgiving leftovers. So we'll usually do two turkeys, which is an overkill for two people. Um, but we'll usually oven bake one and then we have a smoker. So we'll smoke one outside. 
Um, And that smell is just amazing. Like you just, you, we wake up at five in the morning to put the turkey into the smoker so that it's ready by, um, you know, noon or 1 p.m. when we like to have our Thanksgiving feast. So, so um, how long does it take to smoke? Well, I think it's um, it's based per pound. Um, okay. So it's maybe like 15 minutes for every pound. Oh, okay. um, so it's not too much different than, than baking. Yeah, it's not too much different. It maybe adds an, a few extra hours, um, depending on how big your turkey is and how low the smoker is. Um, but just that smoked flavor on that—that's like all throughout the turkey is just amazing. Um, and I hope this year too, like we add some other vegetables, like take just just try and um, take some root vegetables and put them in the smoker, you know, a little bit before the turkey's done, and see if there's an added bonus to like smoked vegetables. Um, you know, add some rosemary and and some um, like citrus inside of the bird when it's smoking. That might be pretty good. Um, so yeah, we just kind of like play around with it, but um, yeah, when it comes to turkey recipes ferment from the fermentation side there's not much yeah which which is okay i mean not everything needs to, well uh, and obviously most of the time it make it makes sense too because fermented things are usually the side dishes or or the additions to a meal and not necessarily the main course mm-hmm. um, because even like sausage generally isn't the the main course it's you know added to maybe a main course or it's it's within things but it's not it's not like the the highlighted thing unless talking like maybe sandwich or or whatnot. Right. Right. Um, but I also, I mean, I didn't find that many recipes for fermented foods, but I did want to give some suggestions on, um, buying wine and beer for your ferment for your Thanksgiving feast. Um, definitely important. And you're more the expert on that one. So what do you have? Yeah. Well, I think mostly you can, it, it just depends on people's wine, um, what they personally like for wine, but for me, I like to have my wine go very well, pair well with my food. Um, so I usually get wines that have a little bit of residual sugar. So it's slightly sweet. It's not what people would say bone dry. Um, just because if it's too dry, it can't hold up to the rest of the Thanksgiving meal. Just because like everything for Thanksgiving is just so heavy and um, uh um, flavorful that it just gets lost in all of that. But if you have something that's pretty light and supple with a little bit of sweetness, it complements all of those heavy foods. Um, but ideally, I like to always have like a Pinot Noir from Oregon. I I think that those wines are pretty substantial. They're not dry. They're not heavy. Um, and they're also not very alcoholic because the last thing you want to do is have way too much alcohol and then you're telling funny stories and you're, you know, you have pants on your head and um, you pass out before you even get to dessert. Um, but I, yeah, it just it just depends on what people want. Um, another a white wine, if people are interested in white wines, are like Gewurztraminer's. Um, that's a type of varietal that's found in Germany, but there's a lot of places in, in the United States that produces pretty good quartz demeanors like the Finger Lakes in New York or um, the Anderson Valley in California. Um, now, when I think quartz so, demeanor, I think more sweet like Riesling. I mean, is you're saying go that sweet sometimes? No, um, it's more of a, if you were to take the 
the take make a spectrum of just super dry whites to very very sweet whites. Um, you would want something a little to in the middle. Um, to more of the dry side. So it has like a little, when you taste it, you're like, oh, this is slightly sweet. It's not overly sweet like um, gourds to meat or can be, but there are lots of producers who do make dry gourds to meters. Okay. Same with Rieslings. Um, I mean, that's a great Thanksgiving choice. I think that pairs pretty well with turkey. Um, and you also want a drier style of um, Riesling for the same purpose. Makes sense. And, um, and is that pretty much the, the main course drinks that you'd say? I mean, do, then do you go into dessert wines too? I mean, how, how elaborate do you go for your Thanksgiving? Um, we usually just do uh, wine with dinner. Um, I, I personally don't really like really sweet wines and I, to me, it's too much sweetness to have a pumpkin pie with like a dessert wine. Um, so I usually don't go that route, but we usually have something for people who do come over who do just want a sweet wine for dessert. Um, Muscat is really great sweet wine that is um, very American. I think that's an American varietal of grape. Um, so that's always fun to have since this is an American holiday. Uh and um, ports, port wines pair pretty well with um, like pumpkin pies and sherries also pair well for dessert, um, dessert aperitifs before or after the meal. So there's a lot of options, but I think everyone's best bet is to go for something. If you're more for the red on the red side, something lighter um, like a Pinot Noir um, or for a white, something like a Riesling is always great. Um but on, in the show notes, I'll have some more details and then um, a link to some five inexpensive wines for Thanksgiving that um, I think it's just through um, abcnews.com. But they, I would highly, I looked through the list and all those wines are highly ranked and reputable and very, very inexpensive, which is um, nice too. And I'm assuming since it's a ABC link or whatnot, that it's probably something most people could find in their yes. local shop. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I'm, I think a majority of them, I think there might be one that would be hard to find. Um, you might have to go to a specialty wine shop, but these are even wines you could find at the grocery store. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like that, even that kind of basic. Um, and then the other thing, my husband loves beer. So, um, we kind of follow the same rules for beers and wine where we try to keep the alcohol low for the same reason. Cause you know, you could just be Thanksgiving comes with a lot of, um, talking and drinking and enjoying yourself. But, um, we like to go with like Belgian style beers, um, for the same reason they're softer, they're a little fruitier, they're not so hoppy, um, which too much hops can overkill, um, be an overkill for, um, Thanksgiving. So any type of like, uh, Lambic beers, Belgian beers are, are excellent choices for Thanksgiving. And do you, so your husband is more the beer side. I mean, do you, do you have preference at the, at the holiday time or is it really kind of whatever you, you feel like in the moment, um, you lean towards wine or, or beer for big feasts? I lean more towards wine. Um, I, I just like the way that it tastes and pairs if it's done well, pairs well with the food. Um, my husband likes wine, but he's more of the beer drinker, but he, I mean, he's the craft beer drinker where it's, um, the local shops and the, um, 
craft beers that come in the big wine bottles, um, those types of beers that that's what he loves. I bet that's, you were talking about the food earlier that, that he missed or whatnot. I'm sure that probably was even more so something to miss while out at sea. Probably don't oh, have yeah. access to craft beer out there. I'm assuming. No, no. I think that, um, if they're out to sea so for, you know, two months without going into port, they have what's called a beer day where you get one beer if you're over 21 and it's usually like a Heineken or, um, Budweiser, which is fine. Um, there's nothing wrong with those beers, but when you're the, when you love craft beer and you get that after being up to sea for two months, it's a little disappointing. <laughs> oh yeah. I can imagine. So, so that pretty much covers the, the Thanksgiving meal to a certain extent, at least everything that I was able to find. I mean, and you wrapped it up with the, this beer and wine stuff. So can you think of anything else for, for Thanksgiving that people should, should think of if they're trying to think about fermented things? Um, besides the wine and, um, I, I guess people should have, a not only a variety of different types of fermented beverages, um, but it's fun to get the bigger bottles because it's fun to do side-by-side comparisons and um, have maybe a three or four different kinds of Pinot Noir um, from different estates and try them side-by-side and see if there is a difference. And that's kind of a fun way to add some science and fermentation into Thanksgiving. Um, but other than that, I think that people should just try and experiment and um, have fun doing it. Yeah, I mean, well, that's probably the the most important thing. Have fun during Thanksgiving, and and I like that idea of of comparing things, whether it's wine or food or different stuff, having side by side taste tests because there's a the, there's a captive audience of people that are are looking to eat and drink, and might as well make them do a little bit of work and try some taste tests. Yeah, no, I think it's a great idea. Perfect venue to do it too. Thanksgiving is the food food holiday, so why not? Yeah. Exactly. And, and well, and since we're still about a week and a half away from, from Thanksgiving, uh, by the time this, this episode is released, uh, there were a few other things in the, in the news related to fermentation, or at least uh, on NPR. Um, did, did you get the chance to watch that little, uh, little animated video about the invisible universe that lives on us? I did. It was really interesting. I'm glad that, um, there's a lot more emphasis, um, in, information that's being put out there about how important, um, your micro, my, your microflora and your body is to overall health. Yeah. And for anyone that hasn't the show no- in the show notes, we'll have the link for it, but it's just about the, the microbiome and about the microbes around us and in us and looking at it from a much broader perspective as many things have been in the, the recent years, looking at it as friendly bacteria and as with fermentation, we know there's plenty of friendly microbes as opposed to the old school war on bacteria kind of mindset. Um, so yeah, it's nice to see that NPR is even doing like a nice little cute animated video with mm-hmm. that stuff. And, and something that goes along with that is, um, I, I have it in the show notes too, but it's, um, getting your microbiomes analyzed. Um, it, it's, a, it's a nice little, uh, maybe five minute audio clip from NPR as well. Um, but it, it talks about how one person got his micro, his microflora analyzed and compared to other people and his risks of, um, different types of 
illnesses and di- diabetes and cancers and how your pe- more research is being done and um, to your microorganisms and how they can be correlated to different diseases. Um, it was, so it was just a really interesting piece as well. It kind of goes along with the invisible universe that lives on us, um, that you, that you mentioned. Well, and that was one thing about that, that link that you had uh, added to the show notes is in regard to the, the privacy issues potentially surrounding those. And, uh, I, I don't feel like the, the article went really deep into it, even though it was kind of the, the title of, of the article or, or the, the recording, but um, but it is something to consider as well as like, well, if people are volunteering their, their microbiome to be researched, uh, what information can be learned about that? And, um, and even if a person doesn't have any issues with privacy now regarding anything, like they, they assume, uh, if their information got out about maybe they're disease prone or something, and they assume that health insurance companies won't act on that information or, um, I don't know what else could happen. I guess, I guess we could have a live in a world where kind of like a leprosy thing. It's like, if people start get, getting judged and ostracized by their, their microbiome, I guess those kind of things would be privacy issues potentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that it, a lot more of this stuff is becoming mainstream and a lot more, um, emphasis is being put on how important or privacy related issues or just a lot more information is being, um, communicated about, um, microorganisms and how they benefit us, um, in a positive way or can be negative and, you know, everyone has their own take on it. I'm sure that we could talk about this in an episode all by itself. There's just so much information. Oh yeah. And, and I'll try and put in the show notes too. There's a episode or two that I, um, did spend a little bit of time, uh, talking about the, the microbiome. Um, one episode was, I don't remember which one it was, but I'll put it in the show notes if, if, if I remember to. And, and because yeah, these kind of things are interesting. And if, if people haven't heard about those yet, then definitely worth paying attention to because microbiome microbes, it's all very becoming very much so mainstream and, and, uh, trending, uh, interest. And, and that was something else that you had pointed out to me was that William Sonoma has a fermentation section now. They do. Um, I just stumbled upon it online a few weeks ago. Um, there, it's mostly just fermentation materials and equipment like um, Crocs. And I think they have a few cheese making kits. Um, and I, I saw it online and it sparked my interest enough that I went to I actually went to the store because I wanted to actually hold the Crocs and see them and see what the quality of it is. Because William Sonoma is, um, you know, a very high end kitchen store. Um, and when I went into the store, I asked the lady, uh, specifically where they were, you know, they always come up and say, Oh, can I help you figure, you know, what are you looking for today? When I walked over there and she showed me, she wasn't quite sure what any of this stuff was and she didn't really understand fermentation. And, um, she asked me why I was interested in it. And I told her a little bit about my background in history and, um, and, and, and in hosting this podcast. And she was just dumbfounded just not even realizing that there was a real market for these products. Um, so it was just, it's just funny how people, how it's becoming more mainstream. So it's, it sounds like, uh, like places like William Sonoma are in the bigger picture, kind of getting it that this is important stuff to have. And maybe they've always had Crocs to a certain extent, but now they're highlighting it. And I noticed that they had an interview with, uh, Sander cats on there as well. And, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, just kind of featuring a recipe on how to make kimchi and different things like that. So, I mean, I, so they're, they're at least catching on big picture wise, but it sounds like on the, the front lines, the people that are in those stores, it's not like it's necessarily being, um, being trained. Although I, I guess I don't step in Williams-Sonoma very often. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe people are, have limited knowledge on the different specialized items anyway, but at least that's one example of where it's sold somewhere, but it's still not necessarily, even if someone sees it, they don't necessarily register what those things are for, which I think can happen in cooking in, in general. I mean, there's plenty of weird devices out there. Right. I think it falls into that category of, um, they have it, it's available for people. Um, if you know what it is, um, here to, you know, you can buy it here at Williams Sonoma. Um, but it's, you know, it, the store I went to, um, it was kind of in the corner in the back uh, of the store. Um, but there was a lot of things there. Um, they had a lot of Crocs for sale, a lot of different types of cheese molds. Um, I think they even had an, um, a piece of paper where you could fill out, um, and give it to and pay for like cultures that would be mailed to your house. Um, things like that kombucha kits, um, so it was, it was just really cool to go in and see that it is becoming very mainstream. Um, and they're, um, having more, um, equipment for sale. I've never bought anything at Williams Sonoma, but, um, you know, that they drew me in. I mean, their, their prices seem pretty much like, a. I mean, unless someone's going to a thrift store or a garage sale and getting it used croc an older one i mean they're they're not really that much different i guess that is kind of nice in some ways that a person doesn't have to have something shipped especially these crocs they're heavier uh and plus you can kind of feel out the quality of it and not have to worry about it breaking unless uh drop it yourself and kind of things like Mm -hmm. that i mean so it's good in that way but kits that's definitely something that seems popular now too i've seen that in a few different places online are these uh, different kits uh, like kombucha kit especially is something that that seems seems popular i mean it really doesn't take much i mean I, i've kits have always been kind of a thing with uh live workshops or in-person workshops especially kombucha I'd leave with a kombucha scoby and and a jar or, and and all the things to get started or or even like a little bit of sugar or whatnot to to have everything but but now it's like people can even order it online or or go into a a store and and get it get it locally because that which i think is good it's i mean it's it makes things more approachable for someone so that they don't even really have to pick up a book or listen to a podcast or go to any blog or anywhere they don't have to do anything they can just go to a store be like oh i've never thought of making kimchi but here's a kimchi making kit and it's got everything that i need i don't have to well i think i don't think it has everything these ones i think you have to add the vegetables but you have a kimchi paste so you don't have to make the the pepper paste or anything or garlic pepper paste. So it's, it's, it makes fermentation approachable, which I think just then makes more awareness towards people because it's like, I'm surprised sometimes and realize that people don't comprehend how, or even that something like sauerkraut is a fermented product. They just don't think about what kind of product it is. Mm-hmm. So it's more of like a gateway. I mean, the kits are a gateway to exploring other avenues of fermentation. I feel um, and it's a good start. It's not as intimidating. We've talked about how fermentation can be very intimidating um, for someone that doesn't have much of a background of it. And um, so that's kind of nice, too. I mean, from from a positive kit side of things. Well, yeah. And especially 
you know, think going into store and finding uh, pretty cooking items. Uh, if a person just likes kitchen gadgets, I mean, it's it definitely makes makes the idea of letting food walk that line of fermentation and rot a little bit more friendly and approachable and pretty, I guess. I mean, making fermentation pretty is sometimes maybe what these kits and different things are, are able to do. Uh, and I think that's probably important since so many people, I've never had it, but you know, so many people are still afraid of, of fermentation. So, mm-hmm. or bacteria yeah. or anything. Well, and you eat with your eyes. So if it looks pretty when you're fermenting it, then, um, you know, probably tastes better. Oh yeah. That's the, that's the the slogan for this episode. Eating with your eyes. That's right. Um, and then I think you had a little bit of follow-up too, right? Um, I do. I think in a, um, a few episodes ago, I've been talking about, um, bacteriosins. And so I just wanted to clarify because I was, I was doing some other research and I stand corrected to what I said before when it came to salami making that, um, bacteria is added to the salami and during the fermentation, the bacteria produces these um, proteins that inhibit um, harmful bacteria from growing. Um, before, I think I said that it was a, con- a concentration, that, like a liquid concentration they added to um, the salami, and that's not right. It's the bacteria itself that's added to the salami during fermentation. Okay. That produces the, produces the proteins that ward off um, the bad bacteria. So I just wanted to clarify that. Um, and then also in the show notes, um, we talked when we were talking about soy sauce fermentation. Um, and I I believe I did or you did. Someone mentioned how it's probably very similar to sake making. Um, in the show notes, there is a detailed description of how to make traditional sake. Um, and then also a recipe so you can make it at home. But it's very, very, very similar to making soy sauce. Um, the only difference is the the soy sauce is with soy and sake is with rice. But everything else is the same. Yeah, and I've actually been doing a little bit more looking into that again because it's been a while since I've done anything with uh, with asparagus orzier and and using molds for fermentation. And uh, I'm gonna start making some more some more koji rice and and and. Amazaki, uh, which would be, uh, or Amazake would be like the, I don't know if it's a step before sake, but it's when it's just more of a sweet beverage as opposed to an alcoholic beverage. It breaks down the sugars in, makes the rice sweet and turns it into a liquid. And, and so it's, it uses, it really does use the same process as, as sake making only it's as opposed to turning it into an alcoholic beverage. That's just a sweet drink and it can be served warm and it's great at this time of year. So I'm going to be doing that again soon. And, uh, and then just experimenting a little bit more on the side of, of the, the, the molds of fermentation. Well, that's exciting. I, um, I, after talking about making soy sauce, um, I decided I will be making some soy sauce in the next month or two. So if you find a really great link to some, um, good molds, um, send it our way because I'd like to purchase some or find a good resource or source to acquire all that kind of, all those molds. Cause I don't some... really know of where to get those. Oh, well that's good because it's, um, uh, I'd say right out by you, there's gem, gem cultures in California. I'm not right about you, but, um, but that's where, I mean, that's again, like the, the place to, uh, 
to get some of those, get some of those things like the, the Koji. I mean, but at the same time, you can kind of just go to a, um, some Asian grocery stores will have, uh, pre-ready Koji. And hmm. it just depends on, um, especially if you have any ethnic communities where you can go and, and, and find some more legit stuff. I mean, they're sometimes just packaged up. And, uh, and the other thing that's interesting that I, I think I mentioned before that, that Chinese wine stuff with those yeast balls, I mean, that's another yeast or that's another mold blend of, uh, aspergillus and other things in there. And all those things can kind of be used from what I've looked at can be used to, to make, to ferment, uh, either rice or, or soy. I mean, it, they're, they're all the, the fuzzy molds. And so mm-hmm. if a person doesn't really care about making a super traditional or a very specific kind of thing, then, then just even getting, uh, getting those Chinese yeast balls work. I think they're, uh, chew or Jew or I, it's, I forget how to pronounce. I can't even remember how it's spelled in Chinese, but yeah, there's, there's lots of places. And so maybe, well, if we're both going to be making soy sauce soon, then, uh, I think we're just going to have to do a write up and we can we can have it be one of the first dual blog posts with comparative results on uh, on both of our sides and seeing who has the who has the better environment for making soy sauce. Oh, that would be actually a lot of fun. Let's do it. Sweet. So, I I dare you. It's it's on now. Then it's it's uh, on. It's... <laughs> Can't pass up a dare. Nope. We're especially a fermentation dare. We're we're good to go. So I think that pretty much covers. A Thanksgiving episode and all of our follow-up by, and, uh, and we are still going to be around for next week as well. So there will still be a episode if you have time to listen while, um, while busy preparing your ferments or other foods for uh, Thanksgiving, we will be there next week. Um, and, uh, unless you have anything else, we can wrap it up. No, I just wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving and, um, I mean, we'll talk one more time before I think Thanksgiving actually happens, but this is more on a preparation, a pre-pre-Thanksgiving feast preparation. Happy Thanksgiving preparation. Yes, that works. uh, There you go. (laughs) And then then we'll wait to wish them an actual happy Thanksgiving until next week. But who knows? People could already be busy planning their Thanksgiving and they're going to miss this episode until after Thanksgiving and then they're going to be listening to old news anyway. So who knows? It's the beauty of podcasts. You can listen at any point. But at the same time, this is a great, great thing to listen to while preparing a feast if a person by chance has to prepare a few things by themselves. Podcasts are a great thing to listen to while, while fermenting or cooking. So just a, just a FYI to try and convince other people to listen. And on that note, I mean, if you want to get in contact with us or let us know about any of your recipes or, or anything like that, uh, you can reach us at podcast at firmup.com or on Twitter at firmup or Facebook at firmup or Google plus firmup. And other than that, we'll see you next time. And until then, firm up.